Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us this morning, wherever you may be. My name is Alan, and I am one of the pastors here at Reach Community Church. Today's teaching is going to come from the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes. Now, many of you are, are familiar with this book. You know that more than likely King Solomon wrote it. You know that King Solomon was probably the richest man on earth at this point. You probably also know that King Solomon is or was the wisest man on earth while he was living. And you also know that the book of Ecclesiastes is pretty depressing. And when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it seems as if King Solomon studied life with high expectations, but repeatedly grieved over its shortcomings, which he acknowledged were due to the fall of men. The book of Ecclesiastes represents the painful autobiography of Solomon, who for much of his life squandered God's blessings on his personal pleasures rather than God's glory. He wrote to warn subsequent generations not to make the same tragic error. And it's a pretty depressing read. The key word in Ecclesiastes is vanity, which expresses the futile attempt to be satisfied apart from the Lord. This word is used 37 times expressing the many things that are hard to understand about life. It expresses how all earthly goals and ambitions, when pursued as ends in themselves, produce only emptiness. Solomon's experience with the effects of the curse, the fall of men, led him to view life as chasing after the wind. It was not until almost the end that the book shows that if one perceives each day of existence, labor and basic provision as a gift from God and accepts whatever God gives, then that person can live an abundant life. However, one who looks to be satisfied apart from God will live with futility regardless of his or her accumulations. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes with a down-to-earth, hard-hitting, in-your-face, take-it-or-leave-it, kind of realism he sort of goes through life with this attitude with an attitude of utility and frustrations and and i tell you something this book definitely includes some verses you probably won't want to memorize to for the sake of encouragement at times you are almost convinced this book could be categorically entitled what's the point we're all gonna die anyway I can guarantee you that will never be put on a t-shirt. So this is Solomon right here. Life is hard. And then you die. Wow. Thank you, Solomon. Thank you so much for that amazing encouragement. But as we read along, we have... As we read along, we we will also discover that in the midst of his frustration, longing, despair, and, and discouragement, the Holy Spirit is guiding him to offer deep counsel and perspective for the rest of us. 
So in this book, he sort of starts out with despair and frustration, but ends up with inspired counsel. He doesn't just write, life is hard and then you die, but he actually provides insight, not just about experience and death, but about how to experience life. And let's start with Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 18, verse 18, where he says, Then I said in my heart with regard to the children of men, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of men and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. And what Solomon is doing here is making, is making two observations. Observation number one. Death is impartial. It comes to all living creatures. Animals die, but so do people. It, it doesn't matter if you're a big CEO in the corporate world or the smallest dog in the neighborhood. When it comes to death and decomposition, humans don't get a free pass over the animals. Solomon is simply referring to life under the sun from what we can merely see with our eyes. And from what we can see, humans are no better off than animals. Solomon says that now, but will later point to biblical revelation. And if all, and if all we have is, is what we see down here under the sun without the truth of God's word, we will probably end up with all kinds of wrong conclusions about life. We could end up with wrong views about where we came from, how we should live our lives, what is going to happen after we die, or where the universe is, is, is heading for that matter. And I want to share with you an example of a man-centered worldview without God's insight, without God's word. An observation that shows the kind of despair which, by the way, saturates our world today because of it. So one author wrote this depressed and cynical perspective. It says, I realize I am going to die and forever cease to exist. My life is just a momentary transition out of oblivion into oblivion. And the universe too faces death. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding and everything in it growing farther and farther apart. Eventually, all the stars will burn out and all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. Mankind is a doomed race in a dying universe. And because the human race will eventually cease to exist, it makes no ultimate difference whether it ever did exist or not. Mankind is thus no more significant than a swarm of mosquitoes or a barnyard of pigs, for their end is all the same. Here's another much shorter quote from a famous philosopher many, many years ago. And he said, a philosopher who denied God's word and ended up with the same type of despair. And, and he said, we are insects, insects living for a few seconds on atoms of mud. I mean, can you imagine having those conclusions about life? 
And so those are logical conclusions people may come to without the benefit of God's revelation. Now let's surely understand Solomon isn't going that far. He isn't denying the the uniqueness of mankind in creation. He isn't denying the immortality of the human spirit or the future of our glorified bodies. He isn't denying the resurrection of the human race to an eternal destiny or the future of a new universe which God will recreate at the end. So what does God, what God words does is that it fills in the blank for us. And, and we can be sure of it and, and have hope in it. With the first observation Solomon is making, he is simply saying that the human race and the animal kingdom all end up reverting to dust following death. But he is frustrated about that thought. Even though he has been the great king of Israel and his body will no doubt occupy a splendid casket at some magnificent funeral, he knows that there will be some animal somewhere that will die in, in some hole in, in a tree without ever being noticed. And both of their bodies will revert back to dust. The second observation that, the second, the second observation is that death is a promise. Here is where Solomon brings in some, some divine revelation. He actually quotes some of Genesis 3 and he uses the same word for dust that God used. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 20, all go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust all return. What happens to to our body after death is not an accident. It is a divine promise. This is the promise God made to Adam when he and his wife were expelled from the Garden of Eden. God promised them that their sin would effectively bring about the reversal of creation. God created Adam from dust. And because of sin, he was going to return to dust. This reversal would affect not only the human race, but also the animal kingdom. As Adam and Eve were being expelled from the Garden of Eden, God spoke to Adam in in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 and said, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Solomon is quoting in Ecclesiastes 3, God's promise to Adam. He is surely frustrated that his body and some animals will experience the same reversal back to dust. But Solomon is recognizing that it is all the result of sin. Every death on planet earth is an exclamation point that God is keeping his promise that Sin entered their world and and death by sin. Every casket eventually fills with dust, and but that dust is not the end. And who is the only one that knows the exact details of life after death? God does. What Solomon does next is provide some clues about life after death for for us, for the believer, by asking two rhetorical questions. In the first, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 21, 
Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. In other words, who knows the details about life after death? If all you have is your own observations down here under the sun without God's revelation, you have no idea what happens after death. And notice that Solomon doesn't answer the question. He, he presumes he does not need to answer the question because he assumes we will all chime in and say, God knows. And who knows the details of eternal life? The eternal creator of life. Who knows what happens after death? The creator who experienced death on our behalf so that he could give us eternal life. And did Solomon know any of this? Sure he did. He writes the answer later in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Again, this critical answer is not a matter of observation. It's not a matter of what we're able to see with our own two eyes. But this critical answer is a matter of revelation from God's word. The second rhetorical question is delivered back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 22. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, who has the power to make life after death possible? Who has the ability to give someone life after death so that they can see beyond their death to see and experience eternal life? Solomon, again, doesn't answer the question either because he assumes everybody in Israel already knows the answer is that God has the power of giving eternal life. And Solomon was aware of other passages in the Old Testament that, that answered this question for him. His own father, King David, wrote of life after, be- uh, after death and the, and the confidence of the believer of spending eternity with God in Psalm 49. And, and so for, for those of us alive today, we enjoy a completed revelation with much more detail about eternity. We can listen to God the Son promise those of us who follow Him that He has gone and to prepare a place for us in His Father's house. John 14 verses 1 through 3. God's further, further promises uh, that those who follow Christ will rise again to a better life. Hebrews 11:35. Paul wrote to Timothy this same promise that Christ had brought life into immort- Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.10. And, and so what I want to get at, the question I want to ask is, what have you done with it? What have you done with this revelation? The Bible isn't just a matter of of observation. The Bible is a revelation from the Creator of the Son. A revelation that we can hold in our hands. And this doesn't mean that we stop observing, that we stop exploring, or that we stop researching. We simply understand that apart from divine revelation, we might end up filling in the blanks with the wrong answers. And, and what about all the people that don't have a copy of, of this book? God's inspired revelation. And well, that is, that is the mission of the believer through the ages and the church today to make disciples of all nations. And, and God has 
a lot to say about this mission as well. But the real question right now isn't about all those other people and what they, they have done with it. The question is, what have you done with it? Left alone, do you at times feel all of this is meaningless? That life has been unfair or, or that this was not supposed to be the outcome you were waiting for? Does life at times feel hopeless? And this was the despair of the Nobel Prize winner for literature back in 1952 who wrote, You can't imagine the torment of having had nothing out of life and of having to look forward to nothing but death. Of feeling that there is no other world beyond this one and that the puzzle will never be explained. This is the tragedy of living life and trying to find meaning down here under the sun and yet denying the revelation of the creator of the sun who designed the puzzle and who knows the answers and has the power to eventually put all the pieces of the puzzle together. In the meantime, even for the believer, there sometimes be to be, to be missing pieces in the puzzle of our own lives. How do we live down here under the sun? This paragraph in Ecclesiastes that seemed to start out so pessimistic pessimistic and negative, once again includes some encouraging truths. Whenever you acknowledge the Word of God, the promise of God, the plan of God, the creation of God, and the future of eternal life with God, life takes on a new meaning. Ultimately, all the wisdom books make one point. That life without God is meaningless and that only He can understand the creation fully and finally. The only way for us to find true wisdom of eternal significance is to turn to Him and His Word. Otherwise, whatever meaning we find is fleeting. Whatever joys we have will come to satisfy us. And every love we have will not meet the need of our souls. And there are at least two timeless principles that we can live with for the rest of our lives. The first one is to enjoy the place God has assigned for you. Look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 22 where Solomon writes, so there is nothing better than that so there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. In other words, don't spend your life in regret, greed, complaint, or, or revenge. You have one life. Make the most out of it. Solomon reminds us that our lives are not accidents. You have been assigned your work by God. Your work is God's gift, whatever it is. Might be in the kitchen, the courtroom, the classroom, a high pain, but stressful job, or right now it may be nothing. Do your jobs well and ask God to give you joy in the effort. Remember this. The devil cannot take your soul, but he certainly wants to rob you of your joy. So if you go through life and don't thank God, obey God and praise God, 
you are really not worshiping God. And how do you worship God? By thanksgiving, self-sacrifice, humility, praise, obedience, and trust. All of that in scripture is synonymous with worship. Worship isn't just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning. And our lives can be wasted if God is not worshipped. This week will be a waste if God is not worshipped. Praise Him, thank Him, trust Him, and look for things to thank Him for. One time a, a friend of mine prayed right before we were going to eat. And he said, Lord, thank you for good food and good digestion. I mean, he really thanked God for everything. The second principle is to anticipate the place God has prepared for us. Solomon has hinted in in verse 22 that God alone has the power to bring us beyond death into seeing and experiencing eternal life. So let's not waste our life. And while we're at it, let's not forget our future. Anticipate the God, the, the place that God has prepared for you. And I am talking about beyond this world. The, the difficulties of life down here under the sun can actually have a redeeming purpose. God has a way of using them to de- develop a deeper longing for the life with Him that is to come. Don't forget your future. The author Paul David Tripp, and, and many of you are familiar with his work, writes along these lines with this illustration. I am persuaded that the whole purpose of camping is to make a person long for home. On that first day in the woods, putting up the tent is exciting. But three days later, that tent has some pleasant odors you can't explain. You love the taste of food cooked over an open flame. But three days later, you are tired of searching for wood and irritated by how fast it burns. You're excited at the prospect of catching your dinner, your dinner from the stream running past down your campsite, which is supposed to be teeming with trout. But all you have snagged are the roots on the bottom. You're now four days in and your back hurts. There seems to be no more firewood around you. And plus you're tired of keeping the fire going anyway. You look into what was once an, an ice and food filled cooler to see the, the family sized steaks you had reserved floating in a gray colored pool of water. You begin to think fondly of home. You stand there hoping that someone will break the silence and say, why don't we just go home? Your four days into the wilderness have accomplished their mission. They have prepared you to appreciate home. Our world is in a very good amusement park after all. It's actually a a broken place groaning for redemption. Earth, is meant to make us long for heaven. Time here is meant to prepare us for eternity. And 
as a believer, as believers, that's our reality. We are strangers and travelers passing through. Heaven is not a place on earth like the song says. But by God's grace and mercy, we may experience bits and pieces of it down here on earth. We may experience joy and peace and love. But our ultimate hope is in what's to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be able to still enjoy fellowship with, with our own families and, and, and appreciate your word. I pray, Father, that as time continues and we may experience struggles here on earth, that it may be a, a reminder that, that this is not forever and that our hope lies in what's to come in the next life. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to be good stewards of what you've given us and that you give us supernatural thankfulness for for the life that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen. See you guys.